Welcome to Pontifex. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 79, Pope Adeodatus II. Another one? Another one. Very close after the first. And I will say, do not strap in. It's definitely a short one today. All right, I will refrain from the straps. <laughs> will you, though? Will you really? I will. I'm feeling lazy today well hey this is perfect then because we have some flow room it's not like we're recording a pope gregory the first where it's like okay we gotta go let's let's run through every little bit because you know it's gonna be over two hours this is not that case it's fine this is day two of your quarantine Mm-hmm. yep and day like what five of yours <laughs> well if i count starting monday it's day four. four. Yeah. But uh, it's rainy, and I'm stuck inside. Oh, no. It's it's so delightfully sunny here, and my doggos are feeling great, so they're, like, sitting out on the patio enjoying themselves for most of the day, which is nice. So I'm just, like, I am very much a, like, lizard on a hot rock in the sun kind of person, so I will just, like, lay out on the bench and soak as much of that in as I can. Especially because, you know, there's not much else I can do. Although I did find this really cool thing. Apparently a lot of the museums around the world are offering virtual tours you can actually go through. So like, you can go through the Getty Museum and the Guggenheim and the National Museum of Delhi and the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And also... The Uffizi. So if you need something to do, listeners, check that out because the Uffizi is my favorite museum on the planet. It is the best museum in the world. There's also a bunch of zoo life cams if you want to watch some animals just doing their thing. I had the jellyfish live cam up for maybe <laughs> four or five hours yesterday just on my extra screen. Excellent. Apparently Disneyland is doing it too, so you can go and ride rides virtually, and yeah, that's probably something I'm going to do at some point in the middle of quarantine insomnia, I'm sure. Mm, someone needs to develop a VR app for that. Oh, I know, it would be sick. I would love it. I mean, some of those rides are kind of based on the VR tech, so you could do it that way. I I would love for them to do a digital tour of the Vatican, so maybe that'll come out and we can do like a, I don't know, some kind of live stream virtual tour of the Vatican. Who knows? Aren't we not allowed in most of the Vatican anyway? Well, I mean, or they could do even the Lateran. The Lateran would be cool because then you can see the papal apartments because they're not in occupancy. If you can't tell, we're going stir crazy. <laughs> Yeah, so back to Adeodatus, shall we? This Adeodatus, like our last Adeodatus, is often called Deus Dedit, because one weird name is not enough. And he was born in Rome, the son of Jovinian, which is a great Roman name. That is a good name. Just everybody loves the, the Jovinians and the Giovannis and the Georges. Yes, yes, they do. They definitely do. And there was also an emperor called Jovian at one point, so Jovinian is a pretty good 
Good name, I like it. In his early life, he became a monk at St. Erasmus on the Caelian Hill, and like so many of his predecessors recently, he had a reputation for generosity to the poor, as well as a particular soft spot for religious pilgrims. The Liber Pontificalis tells us, So great was he, so very mild and kind, that he freely welcomed any man from the greatest to the least. To those away from home he showed compassion, so that no one doubted he would get what he craved, and he increased the stipend for everyone. So he's a generous man, he likes to take in travelers, he likes to freely welcome them all, and he spent the majority of his life doing this, living as a monk. And so when he was elected to be the next pope, he's already fairly advanced in age. So it's not much of a surprise when we look at how he lived his life that when he did become pope on April 11th of 672, he brought much of his enthusiasm for monastic living to the papacy. We're not talking like Gregory the Great level monastic enthusiasm, but he was committed to the rules of the Order of St. Benedict, since that's how he had spent the majority of his life, and he worked to improve and spread monastic discipline by sponsoring the foundation of new monasteries and supporting existing monasteries. Seems like that is the kind of thing he would be committed to. But the big commitment of his papacy was to improve and restore the churches in and around Rome. In the span of a relatively short papacy, Adeodatus restored the Basilica of St. Peter on the Via Portuense at the 8th milestone, and the Abbey of Saints Peter and Paul, which is sometimes called St. Augustine's Abbey, and St. Erasmus, the monastery that he'd spent most of his life in. The Liber Pontificalis tells us that he expanded the cloister's property by acquiring farmland in the surrounding area and installed an abbot to oversee this growing monastic community. He's doing nice taking care of the basilicas in Rome. Now, briefly and already, we have to take a bit of a detour, because something unexpected and unexplained kept popping up in the research that I was doing on this pope. And so we've got to kind of look at what this is. And so to do so, we need to talk about Marmoutier Abbey in Tours. Now, Marmoutier Abbey was founded in 372 by the famous St. Martin, the Bishop of Tours, who is arguably one of the most famous saints of late antiquity. He has a very similar story to, like, Pope Gregory in that he was very unwilling to take on responsibilities thrust on him when all he wanted to do was be a monk and a hermit. Be a monk! But that's beside the point. The point is that St. Martin of Tours is massively famous, and as a result, the abbey was a site of tremendous acclaim and religious pilgrimage. Now, how does this relate to the Pope? Well, many articles who have all sourced from Wikipedia say that Pope Adeodatus, quote, exempted Marmoutier Abbey from the authority of the Holy See. None of which could provide a footnote or any type of citation whatsoever as to where this information came from. And in trying to track it down, I turned up nothing. But you can see why this would be a little strange thing. Exempted the Abbey from the authority of the Holy See. Now, since we spent some time discussing the issue of the autocephalous status of Ravenna, and how problematic this is for Rome, this might seem like a very strange thing for a pope to do. 
And I found myself while doing the research asking why he would do this and coming up completely short. So in order to provide any sort of answer about what might be happening here, we're going to enter the territory of speculating wildly based on what we already know. So this is what I'm thinking. I'm going to present a potential reason why he might exempt an abbey from his authority. Okay. Back in Gregory's episode, we discussed the decrees he had used to clarify the relationship between monasteries and the clerical order for the rest of the church. You know, he had been extremely keen on keeping monasteries as separate from the rest of the world as humanely possible. And part of that was removing monasteries and abbeys from the authority of the bishops whose diocese they were in. This meant that the monasteries would be beholden only directly to the Pope, and that this would protect the monks from the abuse of power and greed of certain bishops that Gregory had seen taking advantage of monasteries. So we could potentially stretch that logic through here to Adeodatus, who clearly had a similar perspective to Gregory having lived most of his life as a monk, and he might have wanted to give this abbey that had special significant status the ability to be even more removed from that outside structure of the church, and thus exempted them from the authority of the Holy See to allow them to exist as their own entity. Let's just remove monasteries from church hierarchy entirely, especially these these very influential ones, because they need to be protected as holy places of contemplation and removing oneself from the material world. But this is purely a theory, and I could be entirely wrong. After all, there's no way I could even find to even verify that Adeodatus exempted the abbey at all. It's not even in the Liber Pontificalis. So that's my wild speculation for the day. What about monothelitism? What about it? Well, that's what you might be asking when we're looking at Adeodatus. It's not been mentioned yet, and it turns out, unlike many of the popes of the age, but more like his predecessor Vitalian, Adeodatus just wanted to take advantage of the lull that was happening in the conflict and decided not to raise the issue at all or involve himself as much as possible with the secular powers of the time. Like, his interactions with this issue are surprisingly limited and very, very hands-off. He's just like, maybe if I don't need to talk to the emperor at all, maybe if I don't have to deal with the Eastern Church, we could just not talk about this for a while. It doesn't mean he was entirely removed, though, because he does reject a monothelite treatise from the new patriarch in Constantinople, Constantine I, which meant that his names were removed from the diptychs in Constantinople. Shocker. But beyond rejecting this one treatise, he doesn't push the issue any further, and he says nothing at all. So, what about monothelitism? Nothing. Nothing? Yeah, just nothing. There's only one area at all in which he seemed to involve himself in the secular dynamic in any way, and this is in just one offhand mention I found that suggested that Adeodatus bestowed Venice 
with the privilege of choosing their own doge. Doge being the Venetian equivalent of a duke. But again, I have to call this offhand mention with no further sources into some serious question, because the first, like, traditional, legendary Venetian doge, Paolo Lucio Anifesto, wouldn't even be a legendary thing of existence until almost 20 years after the death of Pope Adeodatus. And the first doge that we can actually historically verify, Orso Ipado, is another 30 years after that. If these doges come so far after him, how is he choosing to allow Venice to elect their own doge? During this time, Venice was, in simpler terms, still a Byzantine-held province and wouldn't even be established as a republic until 697. We're definitely going to come back to the Republic of Venice in more detail as we go on in the history, because it will become important. But for now, the claim that the Pope allowed this choosing of a doge is spurious at best. Like, that just doesn't seem likely if they weren't even having doges at this point. Keep saying doges. Doges. Are you picturing the shoes? I am picturing the shoes. Well, the Pope is giving Venice the shoobs, apparently. But yeah, all we can really say here in terms of verifiable fact is that Adeodatus had some contact with the political elite in Venice. And he might have been like, hey, do your own thing. But we don't know for sure. And then he died. Remember when I said it was going to be a short one? <laughs> yeah, so he died on June 17th of 676, presumably of natural causes. But what we do get is the dramatic commentary of the Liber Pontificalis on his death, because whoever this new writer is, oh boy, he loves himself some omens. Ooh. Yeah, we're going to have omens and astronomical phenomenon for quite a while after this. It's been a whole new branch of research for me to look into, like, historical data of eclipses and comets and all sorts of do we need a new recording that's just like omens i think we do but we should make it probably more you know weighty than that omens (laughs) omens yes exactly like that use that (laughs) so this one is quite an omen so quote After he passed away, there was rain and thunder such as no one, however old, could remember. Even men and cattle were destroyed by lightning. Whoa! (laughs) I don't know, like, I'm picturing the the end of uh, Stranger Things, where they just sort of, like, explode, explode. You know what I'm talking about. Is it the new season? The three? Did you watch three? I did not. Damn. Well, you know, you know the the drill, a lightning bolt comes from a something, and then there's giblets. Yep, that, that's uh, pretty much what they're suggesting here. I, I was thinking, you know, this could be the first case of all that alien cattle mutilation that everyone's so worried about. <laughs> I'm so glad that they're not like aliens. They're just like, well, God was mad. Yeah. Well, the next line of this quote was, It was only because the Lord was placated by the litanies which took place every day 
that the men were able to thresh the grain and store it in granaries, so much so that the rain itself caused the crops to revive and ripen, and on this account, men were amazed. Amazed! Bad news for God being placated by whatever. Church is closed. <laughs> yeah, um, those litanies. They're not happening. Well, I mean, if you if you saw, Francis came out today and he said that everyone should get together in their own homes, like, do it however they need to do it, via Skype, via whatever, or just get together at the appropriate time, get in their homes, and, like, pray their rosary together as spiritual community, even though we're all separate. So you get a little bit of litanies. Yeah, they need some litanies in there as well so maybe we all need to get together at 7 a.m on this day and have a litany for so that we don't get storms so that we don't get lightning exploded exploding cows and men so yeah he was a scene out with a wicked storm and then potential miracles with all these crops reviving and ripening that that's how electricity works it could be a miracle. We're talking the 7th century here. Like, if Iris is listening to this, she is like, that is how literally rain works. Storms do that thing. But the Lord was placated, Iris. That's pretty much it. He he dies. There's a crazy storm at his passing. And then that's how rain works. So... We're definitely going to see more of this. We are going to be talking about some very strange phenomenon that this new Liber Pontificalis writer loves to tell us about. Are we going to get like a teeth brushing one where they're like, I used a thing and I made my teeth clean and then I never lost my teeth and it's a miracle. For the 7th century, that probably would be a miracle. Dentistry is a far way away. Luxury bones. <laughs> So he was same old, same old, buried in St. Peter's, tomb destroyed for new St. Peter's, no recorded epitaph. But Wendy J. Reardon does indicate that he left a generous sum to the clergy in his will. This is also becoming more and more common. This is like the third or fourth pope now. They're now doing basically, it's kind of a, a similar thing to what we see happening with the emperor except it's not usually the emperor leaving it in his will. It's the emperor paying the army when he comes into power. This is following a similar vein of thought here. But that's him. And now we can rate him. Papatum infallium. Literally most of the quotes about him say he didn't accomplish much in different variations of that sentence. He built some churches and supported some monasteries, and he did perform one December ordination for 14 priests, two deacons, and 46 bishops. So, something. I want to remind you that we gave Eugene, a, like, a three in this category. Can we just give him a three? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I want. I'm going to give him a one. So, what would you like him to have? Maybe a one. Okay. So, he'll get a two in that category. <laughs> Fructus prohibitum. This is going to be a zero. For sure. Seculari impactum. He might have had that connection with Venice. We can't accurately say what it was, but he probably did something with Venice. And he actively avoided talking to the emperor. But there is one thing, kind of a little bit. In his personal writing, 
he's the first pope that we know of who dated things in reference to his papacy. So he would say things like, in the first year of my papacy, in the third year of my papacy. So it's helpful for historians digging through and trying to place information. But that's pretty much it. What would you like to give him? Mm, I'm leaning like a two. Okay, you can give him a two. Uh, I'm going to give him one. I can't give him more than that. I just can't. Yeah, it's, it's, there's not a whole lot. I'm giving him, I'm giving him like a single point for that. The fact that he uh, dated his stuff. Fossium Sanctus. He's got a face. Oh, I'm glad that he has a face and we are not just... The lightning did not blow it away. There is that man with his face. No words are coming to mind. It's just kind of a face. You know what? Okay. So here's what that looks like to me. Do you know, like, right now we've got, like, every Instagram influencer uses the same filters. The exact mm -hmm. same filters and the same face tune and yep. the same everything. This looks like he went through that. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is very, um, there's a background, he's like extra shiny on the bald of his head, he's very airbrushed and smoothed out. He probably used the facetune to extend that mustache a bit, because it's quite long. It's something. There are two more images of him from the bad artist, and they're, they're just, the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know how to preface you for that, but that's that's a thing that's happening. Oh my god. This is like what is it Picasso who does the style where the eyebrow comes all the way down and becomes the nose? Because that's that's what's happening. He looks like a lizard person. <laughs> it's it's the expression is uh, you know, like there's there's a sound associated with it. It it's yeah. We're unfortunately not rating on that one, though. But, you know, honestly, now that I look at it, this first one, his eyebrow also goes down and becomes his nose. Mm-hmm. He's just got a really pronounced brow to... God, what's your nose? Bridge. The bridge, yeah. And it causes a very dark shadow there. So, I mean... <laughs> we had a good laugh, even though it's not over the one we're judging. It's... It's very airbrushed. He would get so many likes on Instagram. He would. And due to that, I am rating him a one. Oh, yes. That expresses how we both feel about social media influencers. I will match. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give him a two because I don't hate him. But he'll get a three in that category. when And when we score it out, he gets a 0 0.75. Tempest Pontificus. April 11th, 672 to June 17th, 676. Four years and a score of one. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round! Do, 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 do. Occasionally, he's mistakenly cited as a saint with a feast day of June 26th, but this is fairly heavily contested, and he doesn't show up on any official listings, so we are not going to give it to him which means he will not be the patron saint of anything. 
Because exploding cows would be a terrible thing to make somebody the patron saint. I'm sorry. <laughs> that would be amazing. Well, well, hopefully there's a there's a moment in the future. But his final score does not put him in the bottom. He managed to get a 6.75, putting him in 72nd place. 6.75? Which puts him above Pope Eugene. Who's got a 3? He had a 5.5, but he okay. also got a papal bull because he was going to haunt us if we didn't give it to him. <laughs> right. The question then is, do we feel the same way about Ateodatus II? Does he papally enough and pizzazzy enough and an impact enough for a papal bull? No, and nothing has jumped out at me, so I'm not being haunted. You're not. My phone has stayed quiet. There's no woos coming through the audio. I don't know if you've started to edit that one or not, but <laughs> I, I'm so curious to see if you hear the woo the way that it came through my audio. Because <laughs> it is, it was terrifying. <laughs> Give us a papal bull. <laughs> I'll haunt you forever. So, yeah, no. He does not have it in him. Tough luck, Pope Adeo Dottis II. And with that, we can have a couple thank yous to make. We're recording back to back again, so this is going to be where we start to see lulls in things happening because not much happens between a 24 hour period, especially on quarantine. So we will thank Totalis Rankium and Rex Factor for being our inspirations. And, and let's also say, get better soon, Rob. Because cause Rob's got it, and, you know, poor guy, he's been very sick. So we, we wish you the best. We, yeah, we get better. By the time you listen to this, you're probably going to be feeling better. So hopefully uh, that is the case. so. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> who knows with this thing? So we hope you feel better. Thank you for being our inspiration again. And thank you to all of you that are recommending us to people while you're in quarantine. We will fill your time with nonsense like exploding cows. So, and we'll probably continue to do this and have a wonderful backlog. So with that, we will say thank you and goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>